Human, where we bring disability and neurodiversity to the pulpit. I'm Serena. And I'm Katie. And today we will be interviewing Kuitlawak Cesar Ibanez Corro. Kuitlawak Cesar Ibanez Toro. Okay, I'm going to call you Cesar. Okay, so Cesar, thank you for joining Holy Human. We're so grateful you're spending this time with us. If you don't mind, would you mind giving a just a little brief introduction about who the heck you are and what you're doing these days? Currently, I am teaching anatomy at BYU Idaho. I am an adjunct professor and teach the Bio 264 lab classes. And what I have is spinal muscular atrophy. It is a genetic disorder that needs to be passed down by both parents for the child to display symptoms or to be affected by it. One in 40 are carriers of the disease and one in every 10,000 births are affected. Spinal muscular atrophy is a neuromuscular disorder, meaning it affects the nervous system and that has a cascade effect on the muscles. For me, what, what happens is that the motor neurons are not producing a protein that is crucial for their survival, and then it slowly dies, leading to muscle atrophy because the muscles are not being stimulated by the nervous system. So help me understand this a little better. The problem is with your nerve system, and because that's not getting through to your muscles, that's when the atrophy happens. But the problem isn't in the muscles themselves. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. My muscles are perfectly fine, but they're not being activated by the nervous system. And so over time, they, they atrophy. Okay. And then when did you start noticing symptoms and when did you get into a chair? My mom started to notice symptoms almost right away. When you were born? Uh, yes, because I wasn't meeting certain milestones. Like I was able to walk, but I'd fall a lot more. And so I wasn't in a wheelchair until I moved to the States and I was given a wheelchair around the age of nine. But had I been born here in the States, I would have been in a wheelchair a lot sooner. Has it always been a power chair then? No, at first it was a manual chair. And then around the age of 10, I got an electric wheelchair and I've been using that since. Um, you're a convert to the church. You weren't baptized in when you were eight years old, joined when you were, was it about middle school age? I was about 13. 13. And the actual baptism was great. You feel like the accommodations were fine and people helped you, but then getting out of the baptismal suit was yeah. a journey. It, it, it was, I'm pretty sure we made everybody wait like a full hour <laughs> just because it, it took a lot of like, figuring out and do you feel like that's something that could be improved in the future or do you feel like there's kind of no avoiding there's no avoiding it it's just the fact that you're wet and you have weak arms and limbs and that's like the number one reason why i I did not enjoy doing baptisms Mm, like even if the jumpsuits themselves were adapted i don't think so okay because the idea is for them to keep you modest. If they just had you in like white pants and a white shirt, would that be easier? You still need to keep them together. If they're not together, the water will push one of them up or one of them down. Mm. Oh. So the jumpsuit is actually 
quite brilliant. Gotcha. Okay. Would you mind sharing your general experience with the church, church attendance, church activities? At first, they tried to drag me to all the activities they could, and then a lot of them were not wheelchair accessible. Mm. And bless them, they tried. They tried. (laughs) But I'm like, I'd rather stay home where I have a way to charge my chair and a a road or Mm -hmm. flat surface. I wasn't involved in a lot of activities just because they weren't super accessible. Do you mean like youth activities? Yeah, it was mostly the youth activities. Even the service activities, like I can't do that. Yeah. Have you ever found inaccessibility just attending church? No, attending church was fine-ish. Ish. They were always very accommodating. So, for example, before I showed up, the young men would meet upstairs, but there wasn't an elevator. So they just rearranged things around for me. They did that for elders and for everything else. So it never was like an issue. And then getting to church, I had a, a really good group of young men that either had a truck or like they built a ramp. And as long as someone with a truck could take my chair in the back and I would be tossed into the seat. So I always made it to church. Wow. Caesar, I don't know if you had this experience, but it would always stress me out when I go to church, when I was using a chair, to know I can get into this room, but they have to move all these chairs for me. And if I'm late to the lesson because I have to use the bathroom after sacrament meeting, they're going to have to like stop the lesson, move all these chairs. It's like a huge distraction. And it's like embarrassing and frustrating. Do you ever have that? Kind of, sort of, but like there was a point somewhere where I just outgrew that. Like it didn't bother me. You're just like, you don't even care. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that is my life. I'm like, I can't change that. So. So you guys are going to make space and too bad. (laughs) And I just try to adapt to it because it's easier for me. Like if there was chairs in the way, I have an electric wheelchair and I can plow right through all of that just battery ram yeah i love it and and i i, I still do that sometimes <laughs> and see i take joy in little things like that for example whenever they would ask me to speak i, I hated speaking at first mm. it was just so nerve-wracking and i just the first year i wouldn't do anything just terrified but then afterwards i, I couldn't get to the pulpit which mm. was great because I would just go Which to the was front. great. And only the people in the front row would see me. Everybody else had to hear me. And so I would literally be speaking just to the people in the front row. Oh. And it made it less nerve-wracking. And I would point that at, at every time I, I spoke. It's like, I'm just going to talk to you people in the front row. Interesting. And the rest of you, you guys can tune out. You can fall asleep because I can't see you. And you can't see me. I enjoy those little moments. I love that. I feel like that would frustrated me just because I want all the attention. But <laughs> see, for me, someone said this once, and I was like, I love it. I stand out without needing to stand, uh. and so I get a lot of that. Like I, my life has been nothing but attention, and uh. I've gone to a point where I just like I I know it's there, but I don't I don't need it. I don't I don't care for it. If, if I could, I'd be invisible. Which is also a, a true thing about being in a wheelchair. Um, I, I get to experience both worlds if you just learn to tweak your perspective mm-hmm. when needed. For example, yes, I'm in a wheelchair and everybody pays attention to you 
uh, most of the time. And, and people, whenever you go out in public or church or anything, people stare at you and they don't know that they're staring at you. But the other side of that coin is that no one suspects the guy in the wheelchair. <laughs> what? Am I wrong? You, you, you're laughing because you know I'm right. And so I try to use both ends of that spectrum. I'm crying. <laughs> Don't make me fall off my chair. If I laugh too hard, my muscles will collapse and I will fall off my chair. So do you have another type of disability? Yeah, I have narcolepsy and cataplexy. <gasps> yeah. See, I know too much about that that I could have fun with you. Oh my gosh. This is a dangerous combination. <laughs> so a lot of my perspective and ways how I view things is partly from the church, but I also worked at MDA camps and I met a lot of people with different types of neuromuscular disorders and being the person that I am, I'm a very curious person. And so uh -huh. I tried to understand what's happening to the body and I, I know what's happening to you. And unfortunately I can use that. <laughs> against you oh serena i'm gonna take deep breaths because i want to participate in this conversation i don't want to just lie on the floor laughing and crying silently see this is why i always wear a seatbelt. there you go smart yeah uh, and, and i learned from them and a lot of them they weren't members of, of the church and a lot of them were bitter and angry and upset mm -hmm. with the world around them. And for me, the gospel taught me things that made this whole experience better, different. The fact that there's a resurrection, like that alone makes a huge difference mm -hmm. because then I'm just here to learn just a couple key principles and live by them. But then I get to have my own body afterwards like not just my own body i get to put together my body perfectly and then use it and i already know how it works i have this understanding of it that i know it's going to come in handy in the next life oh that's interesting you get to take your knowledge with you so everything you've learned about anatomy and biology exactly oh my gosh that's great so are you saying that you anticipate being able-bodied in the next life? Well, yeah, because that's a promise. Our frames will be restored to their perfect form. Being in a wheelchair is just temporary. Uh, it's starting to seem like it's temporary in this life too. Okay, I just noticed a lot of people having a disability or something and, and seeing it as a, as a burden. But for me, I started to see my disability as a superpower. I've been able to do more, see more, experience more from my wheelchair than I would have with an able body. I've learned to embrace that. Here's an, another thing that I've learned from being in a wheelchair, and it didn't hit me until recently. Again, these are little things that I've learned through seminary and, and, and Sunday school and reading the scriptures. And in fact, uh, I've learned a lot of these things from my seminary teacher. His name was Eric Moses. And he, he planted the seed and then it's cool to see it sprout years later. But for my biggest example is, yes, I'm in a wheelchair. I need help with everything from all sorts of people. And uh, one of the things I need help with is getting in and out of bed. 
to get out of bed, someone has to help me get dressed, and then they pick me up and sit me in my chair. The cool thing is that I started looking at things differently, and that's what's cool about being on this earth. Christ can do everything for us. He, he literally could, but he has others help us so that, one, they can build their faith and so that our faith can also be built by them helping us because we're all broken in one way or another. We're, we're not yet perfect. If I start to see them as they're, they're just doing what the Savior would do for me. And so what's really cool, uh, when you lift me out of bed and put me in my chair, you embrace me. You kind of give me a hug and you lift me up and you put me in the chair. Well, that's the same thing as the Savior hugging me in the morning to get me in my chair and then hugging me again to put me back in my bed. So every morning and every night, I get a hug from the Savior, which makes it so totally cool to have someone come over and help me. And, and, and that's, for me, one of the beauties of being in a wheelchair. You find this humility to accept help, but at the same time, you're just allowing a Christ-like individual into your life by asking them for help or letting them help you. Have you had a lot of people around you willing to help or have there been experiences where they weren't willing to help? I've had uh, quite a bit of both. Some people are just afraid, they're scared. Um, being around me actually scares them a little bit because they're not able to comprehend how how does he deal with this. Uh, I've had people actually tell me that if they were in my situation, they, they probably tried to find a way to to kill themselves because they, they wouldn't Oof. be able to handle it. And I'm like, have you seen what I get away with? <laughs> like, right. and I understand that that's difficult for them. But again, one of the cool things being here at BYU Idaho, there's a lot of service oriented people. And when I first got here, I, I was trying to put together my own network of people that would come over and help me. And I was living alone. And then this group of guys like decided, hey, Let's invite Caesar to be our roommate. I told them, like, this is a huge responsibility. You, you're going to have to do this and this and this. And, and they were totally willing to do that. And because of them, we have a few stories of us in the newspaper. And, like, I still have a really great friendship with all of them. And th to me, they're, they're like, they're my brothers. I would do anything for them. And then that has slowly grown. And, and now I rely on people that are still willing to volunteer and I just ask them to volunteer one day a week and they come over and they help me get in and out of bed, help me with food and, and things like that. And so my network of people has grown, but they're not just people or volunteers, they're friends. They're, mm -hmm. they're amazing people that I get to invite into my life. And for me, it, it's way cooler because of the things that I've learned from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've come to see other aspects of my life that either reflect the temple or the gospel. And it's like insane that it took me this long to notice that. But being in a wheelchair for me has definitely bolstered my own testimony. I know the importance of helping others, but also being open to allow others to help you. Yeah. You're allowing them to be a Christ-like individual in your life. Gosh, that really speaks to how important it is to not assume things about disabled people and just to get to know them like they're normal people. Because, gosh, like someone saying that they'd rather 
die than have your disability. That is so incredibly disrespectful. You know, your disability isn't a negative thing in your life. When I introduce myself to my students, I go through my name and I tell them that if they're going to call me anything, they can call me Caesar, Brother Ibanez, or Professor X for <laughs> obvious reasons. Some of them laugh, some of them don't get it. I have to explain it to them. <laughs> But I tell them not to call me Brother Coro, because Coro means I run in Spanish, mm -hmm. and I can't help but feel like you're mocking me a little bit when you, you refer to me as Brother Coro. And again, uh, that's jokingly. Yeah. Um, and and that's just my type of humor. My type of humor is a little bit dark, and I'll poke <laughs> fun of myself because it makes other people feel so awkward. <laughs> And I enjoy those little moments. You, I love that. I love making people feel uncomfortable and you love making people feel awkward. So this is great. Oh, oh yeah. No, if, if people ask me to, to, oh, when professors would ask me uh, to say an opening prayer, I, I would ask them, would you like me to stand? <laughs> and one of them would turn so, so red. I think he, he was really mad at me. And um, But yeah, I, I love doing things like that. Tell me if you agree with me when I say this. Ultimately, I believe that disability in and of itself is neutral. And every person will have a different experience with disability and it'll change throughout your life. I used to look at my disability really negatively. I fluctuate now between positive, negative, neutral. If society looked at disability as a neutral thing, I think a lot of stereotypes would sort themselves out because either people look at it as extremely positive like look at how great they are and meh, or they look at it as extremely negative like I could never do that that would be horrible you know what I mean yeah yeah I, I, I and I agree with you I, I like the, the neutral idea because when I first was diagnosed yes I looked at it negatively it was difficult it was hard like I can't do this with my friends I can't do that with my friends we're all broken like there are disabilities that are visible and disabilities that are invisible but for me something flipped because I really don't think my disability in a negative way like yes it would be nice for me to cook on my own and and sometimes I'm, I'm trying to walk someone through the instructions and telling them how to make something or do something Add more spice. Hey, exactly. <laughs> like, no, more, more. J just don't stop. Um, <laughs> and, and so I get frustrated because maybe my instructions aren't clear enough. And so it's not I'm frustrated with them. It's like, how can I communicate myself better so that they're able to understand? It is frustrating, but I'm still mostly on the uber positive. Again, people don't realize the stuff I get away with. <laughs> it's wrong. You keep saying that, that I don't think we really have an idea. At least I don't. I like think you should parking, share an like, example. No, like, okay, for example, I can get parking anywhere I want. I can cut to the front <laughs> of the line and no one is going to, like, say anything. <laughs> there, there's other things that I don't want to put in public because... You can't reveal all your secrets. I, exactly. <laughs> and I, I, But there are little things, and those little things are just awesome. Or people will be complaining about their day and like having to walk all across campus and that they've been sitting all day or they've been sitting for like a couple hours and they feel like they've been sitting all day. And then I'll say something like, 
yeah, I can totally relate. <laughs> and then they'll look at themselves, realize what they said and to who they said it. Like, I just take all power from their comment. <laughs> they can't do, or, or from their complaining that they can't really do anything about it. That's great. I love that. <laughs> okay. Do you believe the way the conversation is with disability in the church in your interactions, do you believe members have a good grasp on disability in general and disability culture or how to treat a disabled person? Or do you feel like it's just as much random as society is? People don't know how to act or behave or treat someone with a disability if they've never been around it. Because mm-hmm. there's people with disabilities that want to be as independent as they possibly can. I mean, for me, if you want to help me with things that I can do on my own, I'll let you help me because you want to help. In order to get rid of ignorance, it has to come from both sides. The person with the disability needs to inform the other person how and what to do. And then the other person needs to feel comfortable enough with asking. Mm -hmm. With me, the weird question that I get all the time is, can I ask why you're in a wheelchair? It's like, yeah, it's totally fine. Like, I prefer you to be informed than to live in ignorance. Being ignorant doesn't help anyone. Yeah, that's such a good perspective. It's not easy, though. Like, it's because you feel like you can't just disappear and just, you know, have privacy. When you go out in public, people are like, what's wrong with you? You're like, that's kind of a personal thing. Or it should be. It should be allowed to be a personal thing. Yeah. But that's a good attitude to have. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, no, you want to know all about it? I can, like, sit with you and talk about it for hours about Mm. what's wrong with my body and how I've treated it and what we're doing and... And if you have any level of a sciencey degree, we can definitely take off and like really dive in and, and maybe you can give me ideas. That me. needs to be yeah. your question. You're like, what are your credentials <laughs> when people ask you that yeah. question? Oh no, I do. It's like because most of the students that help me are from the biology department. Oh I'm really? Like, okay. What classes have you had? <laughs> okay, I can explain it to this level. I have mixed feelings about that because I feel like, well, I, I don't use a wheelchair. The closest thing I have to a mobility aid right now is my dog that I'm training to be a service dog. I probably could benefit from a wheelchair in certain situations. I guess, I don't know, I've had a lot of people mansplain to me what, what not mansplain, ablesplain. <laughs> ablesplain my own disability to me and just... Like, oh, have you tried taking vitamin D? Have you tried doing yoga? Have you tried meditating? I don't mind having a conversation about it. If I have the time, if I'm not stressed, if I know I'm in a safe place where I can sit on the ground, right? But like, if someone just starts going in on that and just telling me these things where I'm like, bro... I have to explain to my doctor what is happening. Why do you think that you know what is happening more than me when I'm the one reading all these scientific articles and telling my doctor about these new treatments, etc.? And, and I can relate with you because I got to the point where I know more than my actual specialist. Mm. Granted, my specialist has to cover a bunch of different diseases. I can be my own advocate and master my own disease, yeah. but I've never run into that situation or someone thinks they know more about my disease than me. It might be a visibility thing, maybe because I don't immediately look disabled. They think, oh, maybe she's just 
making it up or maybe it's like she's just at the beginning of her diagnosis so maybe it's a misdiagnosis or maybe I don't know just just kind of like a credibility thing I do prefer people educate themselves and I enjoy talking about it given the right circumstances and I think that's why I'm so invested in this project because I want to talk about things and I want people to know what I'm going through what other people with uh, disabilities and neurodiversity are going through and I don't mind being vulnerable in a safe space if it makes a difference for other people yeah so. speaking of vulnerable um yeah I, I don't mind because I've, I've grown up going to schools talking about my disability talking to physical therapists uh families kids and I just and I've had every single weird question you can possibly think of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm no longer, I no longer feel vulnerable in those situations. But what I find hilarious is people have to help me take showers. And I'm still decent. I have what I call a crotch towel across my lap just to make things a little bit less awkward for the people helping me. Uh-huh. But because they're helping me shower, and this is probably the most vulnerable I can be. What what ends up happening is the people that are helping me become vulnerable. And they start mm-hmm. opening up and telling me all sorts of thing, things. And I'm like, we probably shouldn't be talking about this. I don't know. They're so uncomfortable that they get way too comfortable with me. And they start telling me anything and everything. They need to make you a bishop. It'd be so easy. <laughs> No, never. (laughs) Well, just a couple more questions for you, Caesar. Do you feel like your disability has affected what kind of callings you get or how you get assisted in like temple attendance, things like that? Again, another thing. Yeah. With the wheelchair thing, I get away. Like I get to go to the front of the line. I get to go in first. And then there's other things that become more obvious because the temple is nothing but symbolism and certain things can't you can't do and then you notice and then you see oh wait and like it th- that part's kind of cool but knowing yes so yes i have a similar experience where things didn't happen like they, they were modified around my senior year and around the time where all my friends are getting missions this was before service missions were a thing i'm that old i i, I felt like okay if we modify a couple things, I could do that. And we were on our way to the temple and I was riding in a truck with my bishop and I asked him, can I put in my mission papers? And he said, no, you don't have to. You've been honorably excused from serving. <sighs> and I was a teenager and my frontal lobe had not fully developed yet. And <laughs> instead of like listening to what he said, I just heard, no, you can't. And I got mad because it's like, just work with me and we can make this happen. But he told me no. And at the same time, we were studying the New Testament in seminary. And at the time, I was reading Mark 5. And Mark 5 is where Christ comes to this place. And there's a man that's, he's possessed by a legion. And the the man can't be bound or held. And and he's screaming and yelling in, in these tombs. And anyways, Christ cast the, the the demons into swine, the swine run off, and it scares the people, and then the people ask Christ to, to leave. 
And as he's leaving, and this is Mark 5, 17, and they began to pray him to depart out of the coast. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. How be it, Jesus suffered him not. And again, being a teenager and my frontal lobe not fully developed, I got to that point and I'm like, why not? That's not fair. And certain emotions from previous night just kept flooding back. Mm. And luckily, I was reading this in the seminary building. I was mad. I was angry. I was like upset. Like, that's not fair. And I go to my seminary teacher and I ask him, why wouldn't Christ let him be with him? Why did he reject him? Brother Moses, being a wise, I asked him all these questions. And he asked me, well, did you finish reading? And I said, no, very sheepishly. And he has me continue reading. But said unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in the capitalists how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. At that point, Brother Moses puts his hand on my shoulder and says that this is your mission, Caesar, for you to go to your friends and family and tell them the wonderful things the Lord hath done for thee. And at that point, I just broke into sobs and tears and, and um, because it was a very powerful moment. And he understood and he knew things that I, I don't know how he, he knew, but he knew what I was going through and he was able to tell me just the perfect things. And for me, this is my, my mission statement. This is my mission one that I'm not going to be released ever. Thank you for sharing that. It's hard to go throughout the scriptures and conference talks and feel like disability isn't really talked about. But when you dig, you find stuff like that. And it's it's there. Brother Moses is one that helped me find it in all sorts of things. It's everywhere. Again, you just have to pay attention to the little things. Another example where he made me cry and sob like a baby. Are you familiar with the Forgotten Carols? Yes. Are you familiar with Handel's Dream? Oh, the song? Yes. Yes. And it talks about a, a little angel that he wanted to sing and sing, but he couldn't sing. Brother Moses used that song and said that that was my song. And... Yeah, there's other little details and you need to pay attention to the song, but I could relate with that, that angel, that experience. And it is, those moments are there. You just have to look for them. And have, but then again, having someone as awesome as Brother Moses that can help you point those out is a great, great gift. So you've made your peace then with your role in the church and the opportunities available. Yeah, because I find ways to serve and ways to help others see the gospel a little bit differently. For me, the gospel is is such a huge blessing. I grew up reading comic books and looking at that and thinking, wow, if we could do that, I would be able to walk. Or just looking at these characters with these superpowers and these abilities. And then again, here, thanks to the seeds Brother Moses planted and other church leaders, um, I've been able to see them grow and sprout and like, dude, this is so, so much cooler. My reason to coming to school here was one, to understand what's happening to me and get myself into a lab and fix what's wrong because might as well do it myself and develop superpowers because I think that's just so, so totally cool. But then 
being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have spiritual gifts. And if we're able to discern them and, and understand them, those are legitimate superpowers from our Father in Heaven. Growing up, I love Spider-Man. Spider-Man is my favorite character, and he has the Spidey sense. And the Spidey sense, I thought, was so totally cool. But we have something much, much better than that. We have the spirit, and the spirit is able to tell us far more than just danger. It can help us discern and understand and receive revelation. And it's so much better than the Spidey sense. But you just have to understand that it's there, and you just have to be worthy of it. Yeah, we have this kind of ongoing theme with our discussion on this podcast about how it doesn't matter what your disability is, every person has the ability to feel the spirit, to be touched by the spirit, and to be led by God. It literally doesn't matter what your disability is. That's the right of every person that's been sent to this earth. Our bodies and our minds are disabled, but our spirits aren't. And we have our time on earth to grow in our knowledge and grow our spirituality in different ways. Even disabled people have access to these spiritual superpowers, these spiritual gifts that goes so much more beyond the body and beyond the mind. It's just so much more important, ultimately, than the weaknesses that our bodies have or the weaknesses that our minds have because of disabilities. That is one of my go-to scriptures. And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. Ether 12, 27. This scripture alone, just coming across it for the first time, like it rocked me. And I feel like I've come to a point where I have made this weak thing become strong through the gospel of Jesus Christ, understanding that this life is more than just me being in a wheelchair. There's much, much more to come and to experience. This weakness allows me to understand him better. Uh, it helps me to turn to him and be humble and, and accept his help. Something I've, I've learned is that he's always constantly speaking to you. You just need to understand how he's trying to communicate with you. For me, it was through comic books at first. And then that evolved more and more as I dived further into the scriptures. And then there's your patriarchal blessing. If you read your patriarchal blessing every day and you try to not just memorize that, but like make it, ingrain it into your body, those words are from the Lord specific to you. The more familiar you become with those words, the more familiar you become with him trying to communicate with you. I wanted to ask a question. Oh, go ahead. If there is one thing that able-bodied members of the church could do to improve the environment for yourself or for other people with similar disabilities, what would it be? What, what would you say to them? Be tactful. Sometimes doing something for someone else is all fine and great, but it might not be to the individual's necessities. Have open communication and and see what would work best and, and get their input. And then think about that. Because sometimes I've seen situations where the given input is it goes a little bit beyond the scope of, of meeting a person's needs. But I've, I've seen things would have gone better if there was an open dialogue, open communication. Because the individual with the disability, sometimes they don't want to be singled out. They don't want to be put on display. 
and you, you need to take that into account. To avoid that, you need to talk. There needs to be talk between all the parties concerned. So don't assume things and be respectful of people with disabilities. Yeah. Yeah. That, I love that. Yeah. And at the same time, we're not all that scary. To my students, I guess I am. But um, <laughs> it doesn't need to be scary. All parties involved should be able to have fun and be able to communicate and have Christ-like understanding and love for one another. Love that. Ugh, Caesar, you're number one all the time. <laughs> I really admire you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you for listening and supporting the Holy Human Podcast. Please follow us on Instagram at holyhuman.whollyhuman and on Facebook at Holy Human Podcast. And please donate to our Patreon. And if you have any questions or want to be involved, feel free to give us an email at holyhumanpodcast at gmail.com. Also, thank you to Matip for our intro and outro music. We access the song through freesound.org. See you next week. One of the coolest things, well, one of the coolest things that I know about that Caesar's done, I'm sure there's so many more that I don't know about, but he went paragliding. Were you in your chair or were you in like an adaptive chair that they had? It's adaptive chair, but then we also tried to hook up an actual parachute to my chair (laughs) for a shoot. And then hindsight, had the wind picked up just enough, you would not be talking to me here right now. Uh, yeah, all the gray hairs on my mom are from me.